from WBEZ Chicago and the tall grass of the plains, this is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built their dream, a town where happiness was the main objective. But as history has shown, nothing gold can stay. So why don't you sit a spell and join us as we unearth Pleasure Town. Hello, world. Pull up a stool and let us tell you a tale. It's a tale as tall as it is true. The best stories are. Now, fair warning, before we get to the good stuff. Cyrus over here is a professional killjoy. <sighs> Apologies for Claude. You don't know him as I do, so let me save you the puzzling and sum up the man. He was once my friend, then my adversary, and now my fellow steward. And through that I learned that the grander is bluster the greater the truth from which it springs. See what I mean? Talks and riddles like a goddamn poet. Surprised his tongue ain't twisted like a spiral staircase. I will choose to ignore that remark. Eternity with you has honed my abilities of selective attention. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. We begin at the end. Or, at least, our end. The end of our town which lie buried and forgotten neath the red dirt. The Dust Bowl ruined over 150,000 square miles of land. The Depression hit, farms died, and all that tilled land was carried away with the wind, now both a weapon and a burial shroud. There's no doubt this destruction was caused by man, but all that death and dark was meant for us, for our town. God or nature or whatever's in charge judged our town, found it lacking, and hastened its demise. Everyone else just got in the way. To say we were killed for our sins would be too easy a conclusion, and frankly, utterly wrong. No, our story ain't that simple. Yes, we strayed from the path. Yes, people got hurt. There was betrayal, and there was murder. But it was one hell of a ride. Now, where does one start the story of one's life? Perhaps at the beginning. Works for me. The frontier snared many a man with the promise of a self-built life. 
and my father was among those casualties. At the age of 17, he struck out from California, found a poor and hopeless bride along the way, and set root in the New Mexico Territory. Didn't waste much time building his cabin or growing his family. Work came to me not long after walking. My brothers and sisters seemed to take to the rural life, but I never did. Toil to eat, eat to toil. More often than not, I'd get caught in a gaze, stretching my eyes to the unseen, distant lands. Round near my ninth birthday, I'd had enough. Once the crop showed the promise of fruit, I packed up my four possessions, waited till sleep fell on my family, then disappeared into the night. Maybe this would be a good place for me to butt in? I wasn't quite finished. Are you ever? Always so impatient. Please, proceed. I once met a trader who had spent a lot of time out east. Now Yankee territory. I mean the far east. And he told me the people over there, these Buddhists, believe that all life is suffering. As a man who has seen his share of dirt soaked with blood and widow's tears, I can say with certainty that they're onto something. If you ask me, life ain't nothing but a wild horse that you can't break. All you can do is grip the horn of the saddle and hope to heaven or hell that you don't fall off and break your neck. I was first introduced to the suffering of man through the scourge of slavery. You see, I was raised a southern boy among the cotton fields of Mississippi. Our plot was a modest one. Just enough to reap what would garner us a steady income to stave off starvation. My mother said I was born with a wild streak. Said it was due to her sneaking shots of bourbon while father would venture into town to sell off the field's yield to the traders. Whatever it was, I seemed to have a taste for trouble. During my adolescence, I was a frequent patron of the local bar and brothel. So much so that the bartender named a drink after me and the madam christened a room. I guess I never much cared for rules and such. Man wasn't meant to be bound to the limits of other men. Earthly pleasures are gifts from God that serve to elevate us above this heap of manure that he and all his glory crafted in a slapdash effort. I mean... Seven days? Really? I tell you, this world is as rickety as a fence nailed together by a blind man. As for me, I was ready to venture out into that rickety old world. I knew my exodus wouldn't be all frolic and fancy, but if difficulty was what I expected, then hell was what I got. The first time I nearly died was lack of food from poor planning. third time was sleeping next to a rattler den. After that, the danger sort of lumps into one long nightmare. The greatest pain, however, was the solitude. Although they frustrated me something fierce, my family offered me a corporeal communion. I eventually bargained my way onto the cattle trails, moving another man's investment bit by bit across the plains. The adventure of it was what appealed at first, but... That appeal ever grew dim. You rest yourself on the hard red earth. Eat two meals of today's beans mixed with the burnt leftovers of days past. And you move at a funeral's pace. 
I would have toughed it out, except something kept eating at me, pulling at my mind, an emptiness that wouldn't leave me alone. Found myself with that familiar, distant gaze. So once again, I ran. That wanderlust struck Cyrus at a young age. Wouldn't hit me till sometime later. You see, we owned two slaves. And while slavery had been abolished for a number of years, the word hadn't quite traveled its way to rural Mississippi. Still, in my young mind, having two slaves was too, too many. How could a man be the property of another man? Do we all not have the same inalienable right to pursue our happiness? I don't think there's much happiness to be found in picking cotton until your hands are bloody and calloused, only to sit down in the dirt with a bowl of weak old stew that isn't even fit enough for the dogs. That's how my father treated the help. Out of both spite and a sense of equality, I'd often use my skills as a trickster to swipe a bottle of whiskey from father's personal storage and fill up a flask I'd found discarded in the field behind the general store. Of course, I'd replace what I took with water, cause there was one thing my father could not stand. It was losing a drop of his most cherished possession. I'd then sneak out to the slaves' quarters and pass around that old flask, since I think all men deserve a good buzz. Slaves and I would stay up late, and as they got drunker on father's whiskey, their lips would loosen and out would come stories from their past, stories that winded back through time and across oceans. Families separated, women beaten, men tortured. Their stories brought to life the broken promise made by our founding fathers, that all men are created equal. All I want you to do for me, give that of course, my ability to grift had yet to mature, and my father got wise to my ruse. He flogged me senseless with a switch, leaving a gnarled scar on my ass that is still visible to this day. But I got off easy. He beat our slaves all night. One was laid up for the better part of a month, his eyes swollen shut, and the other didn't live to see the sunrise. Hell of a way to treat your fellow man, but that's how things were back then. Running away was easy. Running too was not. With no idea what was pulling at me, I had no choice but to slide into the life of a drifter. Spent weeks on the wagons of kind strangers. Months feeding pigs or mopping floors. Claiming no roof as my own never bothered me, and the hunger pains were no stronger than when I was a kid trouble was that communion my family gave me. Rubbing shoulders was a damn near must for me. A very particular scratch for a very particular itch. But each time I tried to anchor myself, the familiar gaze came back, strong as ever. Drink wouldn't quell it, and sleep made it worse. Then, Near the limits of Butler, Missouri, a heavy rain fell with thunder and lightning to match. As the wet and the cold soaked into my bones, I snapped. I swung my fists at the hundred droplets, and I screamed at the clouds until my throat gave out. Ah! 
thought Cyrus was having his own crisis of faith, so too was I. You see, I had nightmares of that slave's swollen face and his companion's bruised and blooded corpse, which we burned in a bonfire along with a couple of sickly hogs and a wagon's worth of dead brush. I vowed that day that I would head west to find a settlement that refused to accept bondage as a way of life for any man. So at the age of 16, I left my folks in that small Mississippi town and never looked back. Naturally adept with my hands, I eked out a living as a trapper, hunter, and tradesman. It was a good life, being a nomad and living in relative isolation. But I had not forgotten my vision of a better life, not just for myself, but for other wayward spirits who shared my ardor for pleasure. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. Whereas Claude had a clear sight on his life's mission, I was in a fog. A storm didn't have my answer. But come the sun and warmth of the morning, the first piece of the puzzle snuck into the back of my mind. I thought back to my hundred exits, and two in particular stood out. First was a camp of believers in Kansas. Each night was warm fires and singing, and each job was shared by all. But any time anyone broke a rule... They'd be shoved out into the cold. The other was a town in Colorado. They welcomed and encouraged everything that could count as depravity. Thing was, any strangers that breached their borders were lucky to leave with their possessions, let alone their life. I realized my need for communion wasn't the problem. Problem was, I hadn't found my community. All I'd come across were zealots and scoundrels freezing cold or boiling hot, and all I wanted was to be warm. Speaking of warmth, I spent considerable time along the Gulf Coast sniffing out every hole-in-the-wall bar and every one-horse town. I also had the privilege of ushering many pastor's daughters into womanhood. People in the South were all polite smiles and how-do-you-do's on the outside, but they harbor an anger that burns as hot as the reddest coals. And nothing stirs up the fire like having a little fun, whether it's fleecing a railroad tycoon for a few hundred dollars or raiding a woman's dormitory. I was frequently chased from one town to the next on the back of some poor sap steed or in the belly of a boxcar. I'd into the next town with high hopes that perhaps I'd found a permanent home, 
only to discover after a few beers and brawls that the natural ways of man were considered too improper for their genteel sensibilities. I was a drifter no more. I'd still chase the sun across the plains, but now I had a purpose. I'd hit up town after town, asking if anyone had heard of a place like what I'd built up in my head. Didn't bother me that no was the only answer I'd ever get. With all the spinning this world had done, had to be someone out there that had a similar dream. I took to acquiring any books I could get my hands on until my slapshot library finally paid off. Found a group of Greeks, just like me, trying to figure life out. They said the only intrinsic good is pleasure. And that lit a fire in me. I finally had a word for myself. I was a hedonist. I didn't know nothing about this hedonism stuff at the time. Too intellectual for my tastes. I just felt it. The insatiable hunger for pleasure. A cornucopia of good feelings to chase away the bad. Life gives you lemons... Stick those sons of bitches in a vat of whiskey and have yourself a cocktail. But everybody else seemed to think I was just a glutton. Then on the outskirts of a town, fittingly named Hope, Arkansas, I found what I was looking for. And it came in the shape of a mouse of a man with a permanent frown. Wouldn't have given much of my attention, but as I drew my frame up to the bar, I overheard a portion of his endless prattle which he forced upon a silent and wholly uninterested ranch hand. You've got it all wrong. Most people do. Saint and sinner alike use pleasure as a weapon, so the extremes become the norm and the true heart of the thing is abandoned. You might not realize it, but old Tom Jefferson and the gang were closet hedonists. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. Pursuit of happiness. That's it. Going after the happy. Life should be just like that, don't you think? I have to say that I agree. I know you. Claude, right? Aren't you a wanted man? By every woman below the Mason-Dixon. Buy you a drink. With whose money? I've managed to scrape up a hefty nest egg thanks to an unlimited supply of greedy old barons and heartless aristocrats who are too busy counting their quarters to notice when a few nickels are missing. Thanks, but no. I just thought you'd like to talk to someone who might actually be interested in what you have to say. The last thing I need is to keep company like yours. Now, I don't know what you've heard, but I ain't a bad man, just a businessman, which I could see how the two are easy to confuse. But I assure you, I sit at your table merely as a lonely traveler, looking for a little conversation. So, how about that drink? Despite myself, I accepted that drink and the seven that followed. I expected you to be kissing the ground after four. Wasn't the last time you underestimated me. After that last of bourbon, I shared every bit of my personal philosophy and old Cy shared his. Seemed to us that we spoke the same language. And then the rooster crowed and Cy squinted toward the west. You know the land run? Can't say that I do. The government is going to divide up the Indian land. Any man, rich or poor, has a chance to plant a stake, 
claim his ground and start over. You thinking of running? The thought had crossed my mind. Perhaps as two men, we could probably snatch up twice as much land. Heck, instead of a mere homestead, we'd have an entire community. Like a town? Sure. Pleasure town. That sounds a bit... prurient, if you ask me. What about Freedom Meadows or Liberty Glen? And nobody want to live in Freedom Meadows. Starting a town is all about getting residents. And getting residents is all about the sales pitch. And what do people want? They want pleasure. Thankfully, my name won out. I must admit, it did start to grow on me. Pleasure Town. A place to go after you're happy. And so the two of us headed west together. It seemed that as soon as we pitched our first tent, a handful of strangers showed up. We made sure the rules were clear. Pleasure, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Ecstasy, but not at the expense of the town. And as long as those things were seen to, we just might have a chance. No matter what, we were going to see to it that our heaven on earth would be a sanctuary for all who believed in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There was a lot more sweat than you might guess in the early days, and all of us worked according to our abilities. And each night, beneath the stars, we forged the bonds of our new family. Of course, as more residents began to call my home their home, problems arose. But what's an experiment without a few broken beakers? Where we ended up was nowhere near where we were headed. But that's how legends are made. And now, here we are, standing outside of time. And so are many of those who once called Pleasure Town home. Silence for decades under the red dirt. Now unearthed by the wind. This episode of Pleasure Town was written, produced, and performed by myself, Keith Ecker. And me, Aaron Cahoe. Direction and sound design by Joe Dassault. Original music composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Deeger and Tim Hazen, and engineered by Colin Eshmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows like Film Spotting at WBEZ.org slash podcasts. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at WBEZ.org slash Pleasure Town.